Well, take your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Gerhard Armour Hansen was a, a medical doctor at the end of the 19th century in Bergen, Norway. And he had a hunch, he had a theory, a theory that would impact uh, eventually millions of lives. See, at that time, leprosy was uh, believed to be uh, uh, some type of genetic disorder. They really didn't understand how that worked. And for millennia of time, uh, people suffered and died horrible deaths because of leprosy. Um, but in 1873, Dr. Hansen, um, after years of research, um, he theorized that there was a cause to this dreaded disease, and it had a cure. And sure enough, in that year, 1873, he found the cause, provided a cure. The cause was a little microscopic um, bacterium that he called Mycobacterium libra. And for the first time in the history of mankind, uh, there was hope for lepers. Now, it wasn't really until this more modern era, maybe even in our lifetime, that the disease has been controlled uh, because of uh, maybe largely through medical missionaries. But hope had come. Uh, if there was one word to describe the impact of leprosy, it was the word hopelessness, hopelessness. You see, physically, leprosy was uh, this horrendous, disfiguring deadly, incurable um, disease. One author wrote this. It began with little specks on the eyelids and on the palms of the hand and gradually spread over different parts of the body, bleaching the hair white wherever it showed itself, crusting the affected parts with shiny scales and causing swellings and sores. From the skin, it slowly ate its way through the tissues, to the bones, joints, even to the marrow, rotting the whole body piecemeal. The lungs, the organs of speech and hearing, the eyes were attacked in, in turn until at last it brought welcome death. The horrible disease of leprosy. Socially, lepers were, were outcasts. Um, they couldn't enter a home. They had to remove themselves from society. They were despised. They were viewed as less than human. In fact, the first century Jewish historian Josephus said that lepers were nothing more than the living dead, the walking dead. They survived, if they could, on the goodwill of maybe a family member who would bring clothing or, or food, maybe a friend, a benevolent friend. But in the end, large numbers, percentages of lepers died a slow starvation because they, they couldn't help themselves in any way. They were outcasts of society. Shame, humiliation, disgrace followed them wherever they went. Religiously, well, they didn't have any hope religiously. In the day of Christ, uh, it was believed that um, diseases were caused by, by sin. And since leprosy was the most dreaded disease, obviously 
Lepers were the most heinous sinners, the most vile sinners. This is what it said in, in the Old Testament law, the book of Leviticus. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered. He shall cover his mustache and he will cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has this infection. He is unclean and he shall, he shall live alone and his dwelling shall be the outside of the camp. See, next to defilement from the dead, defilement from leprosy was foremost. They were unclean in every sense of the word. Physically, a death sentence. Socially, an outcast. Religiously, a vile sinner. Can you imagine the, the psychological, the emotional pain that a leper went through? And on top of it all, um, they were, there was no hope for them eternally. Uh, they were doomed to hell. You got leprosy, you got a ticket to hell. Lepers were physically, socially, morally, religiously, eternally lost. They were dead. Dead people walking. Such was the sad condition of this man in Mark chapter 1, verse 40. It says, a leper came to him beseeching him. A leper who um, had no hope socially, morally, religiously. He comes beseeching or imploring or begging and falling on his knees before him and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Don't miss the, the desperateness and the tone of his voice. It had to be there. Our translations say he begged, he implored, he pleaded. He's on his knees, no doubt tears running from his eyes. And he cried out to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If anyone understood the horrible impact of leprosy, this man did. The full ramifications, physically, socially, religiously, eternally. He felt it all. And he falls on his face, weeping before Jesus, begging, imploring. He was a desperate, shameful, hopeless leper. But notice also there was a, there was a boldness to him as well. He, it says it came right up before Jesus. Now if he would have come up before any other person or certainly any other rabbi, religious person that would have sealed his fate. They would have picked up stones and by law they would have stoned him. He would have violated the law. But there was a boldness to him as he comes right up to Jesus and begs him. Must have been something about Jesus that gave him the assurance, gave him the, the comfort Something approachable, something that was not very intimidating about Jesus that made this man exert some boldness to come before him. But thirdly, notice there was also an element of faith to this man. If you are willing, 
you can make me clean. It seems like he had an absolute confidence in Jesus' ability to heal him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. You are able to do this. The question was never the, uh, the ability of Jesus, the power of Jesus. The question was, was he willing to do it? This leper believed that Jesus could cure. The question was, did he care? If you're willing, you can do this. One other thing about the, the leper's faith he specifically asked for, for cleansing. You can make me clean. Not just, you can heal me. It was like this guy had one opportunity, one shot at it. Here comes Jesus. He falls on his knees. He begs him. He, he, wanted, he had this one chance, and he wanted the full package of blessing. I need cleansing, spiritually, morally, and physically. Lord Jesus, I need your willingness to exert your power. The faith of the leper now takes second place to the compassion of Jesus because in the next verse we read, and moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And here we have the living word Jesus himself expressing those words of hope. I don't know if there was a pause between the man's pleading, the man's begging, a moment where Jesus stands there seeing the tears of streaming down the pus-filled face, the leper pleading and, and imploring, and then Jesus said, I am willing. Be cleansed. And once again, we see Jesus expressing that deep um, sense of love, compassion, pity. It moved him then to do the unthinkable. He touched the leper, the text says. He touched the leper. Now, if people would have been close enough um, to, to, to be around that whole scene. I mean, people kept their distance. Uh, it was a leper. But if any were close enough, they may not have heard Jesus say, I am willing, but they certainly would have seen him reach out and touch the leper. And there, no doubt, would have been a gasp of horror come among the people. The unthinkable just happened. It was unacceptable. It was dangerous. In fact, it was, it was religiously stupid. <laughs> you touch a leper or anything unclean, you become unclean. And yet Christ's compassion made him take this risk. I mentioned last week, there's a certain ridiculousness to faith. Well, there's a certain ridiculousness to, to compassion. Making the risk, taking the risk. It's a lot less risky. It's a lot... It's a lot easier to kind of wall ourselves off from, from the pain of other people, from, from those less fortunate. It's, it's a lot easier to kind of live more of an isolated life or to live just a busy life, fill our life with our own activities, our own situations, our own uh, fun life and, and pursuits. 
Um, we don't have to hear the cries of need, of pain that, that are beyond us. The, 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 the cry of a, of a single mom with four kids, barely able to eke out a living. We, we, we can wall ourselves off from the widow, the widower, who in this season fills the overwhelming sense of loneliness. We can forget about the child who knows only neglect from parents or, or grandparents. We don't have to hear the, the pain, the anguish of a businessman who's about to declare bankruptcy or a a person struggling with same-sex attraction or, or that, that woman who's deeply impacted and still struggling with post-abortion depression. Jesus took a risk. He touched a leper. Jesus invaded the leper's space. He moved towards the leper. And he touched him. Can you imagine what that touch must have done to this hopeless person, this, this doomed walking dead person? Dr. Paul Brand was an orthopedic surgeon raised to, by missionary parents to love Jesus, to love other people. And, and that's what he did in the late 1940s. He um, took his orthopedic practice. He went to India, northern India, because he wanted to help alleviate the, the, the suffering, the pain of, of lepers. He became the first surgeon in the world to use a reconstructive surgery to um, help with the deformities caused by leprosy. And he writes about one of his first patients. He came into his clinic with a, with a translator Clearly, this person had been ravaged by leprosy for many years. And as they're sitting there and he's listening to the story and understanding this person's life, Dr. Paul Brandt reached out like Jesus had done 2,000 years earlier, and he embraced that leper. And the leper immediately broke down with sobbing, deep sobbing, and Dr. Brandt recoiled back. He thought he had hurt him, and he asked the translator, what, 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 what have I done? And the translator assured him, those are tears of joy. You see, this man hasn't felt the touch of a human being in decades. Jesus touched the leper. And that's when his compassion, united with his power, brought what it says in verse 42, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Not only was, able, was Jesus able to heal, he provided the full package of blessing that the man had asked, would you cleanse me? And Jesus brought physical healing, but spiritual Emotional, psychological cleansing. I, I mentioned earlier that leprosy was the kind of the epitome of hopelessness. It also was the epitome of, of shamefulness. There was such shame associated with being a leper. Um, 
It was a shame that would, would be so overwhelming because, you see, leprosy was tied to you being a, a vile sinner, a moral failure. That leprous decaying, decaying flesh would, would tell yourself, every time you looked at yourself, would tell anyone who, who saw you from a distance uh, that you were hardly human. You would have been and lived with a sense of, I'm a disgrace to my family. A disgrace to, to friends that you once had. You were a shameful disgrace to God. The, the white specks begin to, to form. You, you, you begin to realize you're a leper. And you're pushed out of your home. I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen your, your son recently. Well, oh, did, did your daughter move to another community? And they hang their head in shame, in disgust. That son, that daughter has disgraced the family. Because leprosy was tied to you as a sinner. It, it was the albatross hung around your neck, the dead stench of moral failure. Ed Welch, in his book, Shame Interrupted, explains it this way. Shame is a deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did or something done to you or something associated with you. You feel exposed. You feel humiliated. You are disgraced because you, you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human, or you were associated with something less than human, and there were witnesses. There were witnesses. They read that in the paper. They know your background. The whisperings have continued. Did you know that so-and-so did this. By the way, have you heard? Could you add this to your prayer list? Sister so-and-so, she's at the core of shame is that all-too-human experience of, of worthlessness. Failure. You don't belong. Welch Continues, and he writes, shame identifies that we are unacceptable, dirty, disgraced, sent away, distanced from people and God's promises. We notice that life can feel now more like death. We become unacceptable because of our own sin. We also become unacceptable because of our association with things connected with death, like the weaknesses, your, your, your disease, the, the sins of others. Now, shame is different from guilt. Guilt says, I have done something bad. <laughs> I admit it. What I need is, I need, I need to be pardoned. I need forgiveness. And once pardon is granted, once forgiveness comes, the guilt is assuaged. I've done something bad, says guilt. Shame, shame says, I am bad. I am bad. See, long after guilt is forgiven, shame lingers 
the stench of death follows. The memories that pop up. The whisperings. Shame lingers. I'm bad. It's an identity issue. Forgiveness can assuage guilt, but the shameful person needs a completely redone identity. It might be a past sin that still haunts you. A crime. Blue collar, white collar, doesn't matter. But you've got a record. Drug use. Some illicit sexual affair. A broken marriage. Caught in pornography. The list can be endless. It might arise from someone else's sin that has been committed against you. The, the angry verbal abuse that a little child experiences that follows him long after that angry dad is dead. But in the memory banks he hears, you worthless piece of... It might arise from the... Abuse from a sexual assault. Shame commonly is found in victims of assault. You look in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's all over the pages. A Samaritan woman who doesn't measure up to society's standards, to the standards of community. And so she, she's found at the well all by herself. Why all by herself? She's an introvert? No. She's not liked. She's an outcast. She, she's a, a woman of ill repute. Or the woman whose, whose sexual past finally catches up with her and the religious leaders, she's been exposed and they come with stones in their hands. In their righteousness, they're going to put an end to this. Or the, how about the tax collector? The tax collector, a Jewish person who is in cahoots with Rome who cheats his own people. He's a traitor. He'd walk by and he'd spit at his feet. What a shameful, disgusting person. Or how about the, the disciple who denied Jesus three times? Or how about the woman with the flow of blood who had been to doctors for well over a decade with no help, she had exposed her shame, her humiliation, and it followed her. And she has to clandestinely reach out to try to touch Jesus. And of course, then there were the lepers. The many, many, many lepers, disgraceful, worthless outcasts of society. And then Jesus came. And he brings his own shameful past. Born in poverty. Poverty? A king of kings? Poverty was a symbol of, of shame as well. God blessed righteous people with health and wealth and prosperity. He was from 
that, that hillbilly region of Galilee. That's where the dregs of society came from, the rabble-rousers, the less educated. In fact, he was from the worst part of Galilee. Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was, a, it was an outpost for, for the Roman soldiers. And his mother, her pregnancy was shrouded in scandal. <laughs> do, you, do you really know who your father is? And then he begins his ministry. And isn't it ironic or interesting that he, he announces his kind of ministry purpose statement this way? He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Yep. <laughs> Those vile, worthless, poor people. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. Captives, prisoners, they don't need to be released. They need to be punished. They need to be executed. And recovery of sight to the blind. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Obviously, no blessing of God on his life. The shameful, disgraceful person. To set free those who are, who are downtrodden. Get out of my home. I warned you, you did that one more time. You're out. I don't want to see your ugly face around here again. You have disgraced the good name of this family. Get out. The downtrodden. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What was Jesus' purpose statement? I came for the shameful. I've come for the disgraced. And then you see him in action. You see him at that well with that Samaritan woman. And you see her go back and engage the very community that had ostracized her. And she said, come. <laughs> come meet the man who's transformed me. You see him Defend and, and forgive the adulterous woman. You who are without sin, cast the first stone. And one by one, they depart, and, and Jesus said, where are those who accuse you? Then I do not either. Go now and sin no more. And what does he do with tax gatherers? Can, can you imagine this? He's eating and drinking with them in their home. Come on, righteous people. Doesn't that just want to make you groan? Like, oh, gross. And he's eating and drinking with undesirable, shameful, disgraceful dregs of society. And there he is. And to the disciple that denied him three times, can you believe it? He commissions him in his service, leading the church <laughs> to the woman with the flow of blood, the shameful woman who had to scour and hide in the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. He 
he speaks to her the most beautiful term that she probably had ever heard. Daughter. Daughter. You're healed. Go in peace. And to the leper? (laughs) He touches the leper. He touches the leper and cleanses him. (laughs) And to everyone, everyone who believes on him for eternal life, he offers the very same blessing, cleansing, not just from the guilt of sin. He offers not just pardon, full and free, for sins committed in our past, for sins we commit today, for sins we're going to commit tomorrow. He offers full forgiveness and cleansing from shame. From shame. At the moment of faith, you see, our identity changes. We get the forgiveness. It removes the guilt of sin. But it gives us, he, he reshapes, he transforms our very identity. Our identity is no longer wrapped up in the condemning facts, facts of our past, of our mistakes, the the pain, the sin of someone else done against us, past associations. The shame is, is removed because a new identity is given. He says, I'm going to adopt you into my family. No longer do I call you slaves. You're my son, you're my daughter. I've adopted you. You're you're my forever family. He calls us his own through his shed blood. And he cancels out the certificate of debt of sin. At the moment of faith, he touches us with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his kindness, and he invites us into intimate fellowship with him. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. We've been called into fellowship with the Son. There's not a person in this room, me included, there's not a person who's ever lived that is worthy to have intimate fellowship with Almighty God. Because everyone in this room and everyone who's ever lived has suffered the leprous effects of sin. And then he calls us into fellowship with himself. He invites us with open arms into his lap where we can say, Abba, Father, Daddy, fully accepted in the beloved. Yeah, but don't you know that, didn't you read the newspaper articles? Didn't you read my bio? Don't, you know all things, God. In fact, you know things that I have never exposed to anyone ever. And you know it all? And he says, yep. But my son has paid for it all. And I offer you a free gift that will clean you up for all eternity. You see, Jesus comes into our life and he accepts us right where we're at and he says, I am willing be cleansed.
be cleansed. Turn with me real quickly to Ephesians chapter 3. It's, a, it's such a great, or chapter 2, such a great reminder of his relentless pursuit, his unconditional love, his kindness towards us that even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, verse 1, in which we all formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature, at our very core essence, we were leprous with sin. We were vile to the core. We are born that way, the Bible says. In verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were leprous with sin, dead in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. We have a totally new identity, transformed out of the realm of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, because, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a, what a wonderful time that'll be in heaven. I don't know if we'll have that conscious awareness. It says, so that in the ages to come, he might show, pass, show the surpassing riches of his grace. Oh, there goes, put your name there. Oh, look, look, there's, go ahead, put your name there. Can you believe it? Look, there's, didn't they, didn't they do the, I, I remember reading about, didn't they, didn't they walk <laughs> trophies of grace? Because it's by grace, verse 8, we've been delivered, rescued through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. No one can work their way out of shame. It is the stench that hangs on for a lifetime. Grace can do that. It's not a result of works, so no one will boast. For we are his poem. That's what the essence of that word is. We are his, we are his work of poetry. We are his work of art. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Peter says, you once were not a people but now you're the people of God. You once had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Transformation. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 26, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world, to shame the things which are strong, the base things of the world, the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Freedom. Freedom from the past. Freedom from the guilt, freedom from the shame, freedom from the disgrace. 
so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, now here's a person who really believes this, who's embraced this truth, can walk about life with their head held high, not because of what they've done, but because of whose they are. Yes, that's right. Those, those, those newspaper articles about me were correct. Yes, yeah, I, I was an embezzler. Yes, yes, I was an adulterer. I'm not proud of it, but I carry the shame no more. Yes, this is true about me. And as a believing community, we are called to now accept one another in love and grace as our Father accepts us. We don't rejoice in our past. We, we rejoice in a Savior who said, I am willing, be cleansed, and go now and sin no more. God takes our leprous sins. He takes our leprous past, our leprous pain from the abuse of someone else. He takes our, our leprous memories of worthlessness, of failure, of disgrace, of shame, and he places it on his son. And Jesus Christ paid for it all. And he offers cleansing from all unrighteousness, all disgrace, all filthy shame. Freedom. What a wonderful word of hope from the living word himself. I hope you got some great bargains Friday on Black Friday. If you missed them, tomorrow's Cyber Monday. Hope you can get some great offers. But there is no greater offer and no greater deal that you'll ever have and hear than the one I've just shared with you. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Though you were covered in shame and disgrace and everyone around you reminded you, you're set free because of the love of Christ. Folks, this Christmas season, and on and on and on, I hope for the rest of our life, we never stop mining the deep riches of his grace, of what he's done for us, and that we will never boast in anything but our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his kindness said, I am willing, be cleansed. Have you received that offer today? Will you walk out of these doors today with the absolute assurance that Jesus Christ has cleansed you? You can. The Bible says he's paid for all those sins, even the ones we're going to commit in the future. He died on the cross, despising the shame. He took upon himself our guilt of sin. He who knew no sin, who knew no shame, became shame for us as he hung on that cross. And it was your sin and mine 
your shame and mine. And Jesus died. And his blood cleanses. And he offers a free gift, the free gift of eternal life. How do you receive a gift? You say, thank you. (laughs) And so right now, if you want to make sure before you walk out those doors where you're going to spend eternity, what your status with Almighty God is, the good news is God so loved you, he gave his son for you that if you simply believe on him, transfer your trust off of your attempts to clean your life up, your attempts of, 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 of self-flagellation, of self-crucifixion to deal with the guilt and the shame of your past. Transfer your, your trust onto Christ and Christ alone. And in that moment of faith, the Bible says, you pass from death to life. All because the Savior said, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Would you bow your head, please? Our Father, we at times can take this or forget this whole truth. At times we can, we can be caught up by the accuser of the brethren who whispers into us, you filthy leper. He forces us to grovel in the past of our shame, of our guilt, forgetting that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Forgetting that he who set you free has given you freedom indeed. The one who says, I love you with an everlasting love. May we fight the the lies of our enemy with the truth of your word the living word who speaks words of hope, who says, I'm willing to be cleansed and offers that cleansing freely. Lord, to a world out here who needs to hear that message, even those who might be coming this coming weekend, as we will pray about that in just a moment, Lord, may we with boldness proclaim the good news of a Savior. And it's for His glory and because of His grace we pray it. Amen.